the proliferation of the looter shooter? Borderlands 3 has some competition. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square at a PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, Mr. Saw Bridges, bringing you guys episode 105. 105. If this is your first time joining us, we are a PlayStation-centric podcast, uh, and we have, uh, let's see, we normally post every Monday at 10 a.m. PST and 12 p.m. CST on video format on YouTube. If you like what we're doing over there, subscribe, hit the bell notification, let you know when these episodes go live every Monday, every other Friday for our reader mails, and then the occasional videos that we have between, which has been a little less often. But uh, if you want to... uh, you know, put your two cents in and what we're talking about. Do so down in the comments below. We'd love to hear the se- uh, what you have to say about the topics. Uh, and we, if we like anything that you've said, what we'll do is we'll pull them and use them in our community's take segment that we are, we've recently introduced and are kind of working into the show. If you don't want to watch our faces and instead just want to listen, you could do so on podcast services, be it on Android or iPhones, doesn't matter, or, or on computer. You can do Apple Podcasts. You can do, or I guess that's just iTunes. I don't really know. Is there an Apple Podcast? I'm pretty sure there is. I don't have an Apple product. Yeah, you could do Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you want to find us on. Uh, and if you like what we're doing over there and you want to talk uh, to us about what we're talking about in these episodes, uh, you can find us on social media, be it on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can do so on our Facebook, which is Triangle Square Day PlayStation Podcast. If you ask to join that, we'll gladly let you in. Saul won't be there, but I will in a little bit more of the community. Um, if you want to join our moment-to-moment, day-to-day conversations, you can do so by joining our Discord, which is down in the description below. And lastly, if you'd like to support us with even as little as a dollar, you can do so on Patreon, which we keep down in the link below, which is patreon.com slash nartech. If you want to go higher, you can get cool custom cases of your choice uh, and some other goodies as we continue to grow this channel. Uh, so with that said, I guess it's time to move into the traditional start of the show. And that is always, first and foremost, Saul, how you doing? What you been playing? Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Okay, so we got to talk about that one because okay. pretty much everybody I know kind of jumped into it and it's been a mixed bag of whether they enjoy it initially or if it's kind of so stark of a difference from what they expect in a FromSoft game that it kind of throws them off and they'll play it for a little bit, kind of have struggles with it, and then kind of put it down for a little bit. Now, we're two sides of the same coin. I don't mind the game. I actually enjoy it, but... It has frustrated me a few times when going to play it, uh, just because I'm so not used to the way that the game goes. So just as the reasonings as to why I think uh, the biggest differences between the game is honestly skills. Um, these Soul series has never had skills. It was just all about raw talent of, do you know how to maneuver around these enemies? And if you do, then you can eventually learn what you need to learn or power up by leveling up to be able to either outsmart them or out damage them. Whereas this game goes, well, that's probably technically possible, but there's a lot of skills that are really made to completely combat certain things. So one of those things being early game, you'll see somebody with a spear and when they go to do it to you, you can avoid them. It's just really hard to get a lick in if you don't have the skill that lets you down stomp their spear. Uh, so that's kind of been what threw me off of it. Well, you can still deflect spears. You can't deflect the perilous spear attack. Now, what do you mean by perilous? Is that where the... Anytime the red Japanese symbol pops up. That's what I was going to say. For what attack they're doing. So So I never was... I I, I don't know how to describe it. It was like I was able to deflect it before I had the skill. And I almost killed the guy with one stealth blow and then the next. And I just kept going. I was like, I I can't get him at that very bottom. Because it's like you you get very few... 
moments, I guess, opportunities to be able to strike without him coming back at you very quickly. And the spears are very quick. I mean, even when they're not doing the perilous or whatever you're saying, um, it, it definitely got me. But yeah, one specific mini boss that hung me up. That's the one I think you're talking about. The okay. uh, Shinobi Hunter mini boss. Yeah. Not really a spoiler. These names really don't mean much. Uh, well, what I was going to get at there is, did you experience that at all? And because you started playing it before I did, I picked it up day of play, like day of launch, but I didn't want to start it until the following week. And then I've kind of just had some in and outs with it. But did you go through that period at all? Or is it kind of just like a weird learning period or what hit you with it? Not really a weird learning period. I just kind of took in the fact that deflect is the new parry. And the more you deflect, the higher the chance you have at a successful death blow or successful parry almost. So, uh, no real terms of that uh, with uh, blocking or deflecting. But I will say that there's habits coming from somebody who's like muscle memory ingrained with Dark Souls. Sure. That you have to use, uh, you have to get rid of. You have to get rid of these habits of constantly wanting to dodge because that the game really doesn't want you to dodge. There's only specific times which are perilous attacks that you should really dodge. There's And there is a couple of enemies that you don't want to keep deflecting on just because of the weapons they're using. But I will say that the hardest part was overcoming that. And I still find myself dodging a lot where I got to like calm myself do- down and be like, I can't, I, like I'm not supposed to be dodging right now. I'm going to get further in this fight if I just keep attacking and then deflecting as they attack. It's more about trading blows. That has definitely is. been my issue. Yes. And I keep trying to block as well or, or you know, dodge. And it's weird because this game doesn't even have a stamina bar. So it's like the thing you're used to going toward. It's like, I don't know. The, the game yeah, there's is... unlimited stamina, which is really cool. And I also did not realize they were sprinting at all until just like the other day when I played again. I didn't realize they were sprinting either. Hold circle, just like in Dark Souls. I thought I tried that when I very first started playing. I thought I did as well, but I and guess I didn't. No, yeah. And there is times... Like, I love the game so far. Like, there's been two issues that I've had with the game... Uh, in terms, one was enemy magnetism on a mini boss that's early into the game. It's the first. It's really the first mini boss you come across. Or no, second mini boss you come across. Yeah, uh, because I haven't fought it. Yeah, which it, which everybody's seen. It's been in all the promotional stuff. It's it's the chain ogre guy that ground pounds you and throws you. Uh, there's enemy magnetism on him. It's not severe enough where it happened every time he tried to do a specific attack, but it got me a few times and caught and kind of irritated me. Uh, other than that, though. It is the learning curve, which I say almost like it was a fault, but it's not. It's more so of a problem of getting it out of my head uh, of the way the game wants to work and how I am playing the game. So, Like you're fighting the game. Yeah, like I'm fighting the game, and it's gotten to the point now where I can play pretty well in terms of what the game wants me to play as. I just find myself in specific moments, such as getting surrounded or moments of despair like if i'm low at health i just find myself spamming circle to get out of there to heal which in reality if you take into account the posture bar for the enemy you lose a lot by doing that. well it could be that their posture is almost broken yeah and i actually have a skill now to where anytime i do a death blow i get health so now it's got to the point where it actually would make more sense for me to deflect one or two more attacks and then just to to death blow them and then back off heal and if it's a mini boss or a boss and you know get ready for round two or three. Yeah, sure. So right now I'm having a ton of fun with it. And like I said, the main issues that I had with it are one's not even really an issue. 
which was overcoming the way I currently have to play. The other was, of course, the magnetism on that one enemy. I have fought upwards of 10 mini-bosses and a couple of actual bosses since then, and I've not had enemy magnetism at all. As a matter of fact, the hitboxes in the game are some of the most impressive hitboxes I have ever seen in a video game. Yeah, I know that we kind of talked, and it seemed that the magnetism may be a bug more than it is intended. It probably intended. is a bug. Yeah, it's, it, because it only seems to happen on one or two of its perilous attacks, which are grabs. So most other enemies... I can't Maybe even, a weird hitbox glitch, where essentially where it's... If, you, if you're within it, it considers you to have gotten hit anyway, and all that happens with the magnetism is essentially it's pulling your body where yes. it thinks you're supposed to yeah, be Yeah, like anyway. I think that the iframes there don't work on the dodge, because there, there's weird iframes in this game. They're not traditional like Souls games. The enemy tracking is a whole lot better than what is traditional with those games. So now if you dodge during an attack, you have to time that 100% perfectly in order to get iframes to work because the enemies are so good at tracking you. If they slice their sword down and you dodge to the right, they're going to jab at the right. Yeah. So like no matter what, you're going to get hit unless you hit a perfect dodge or dodge back, which is why that game doesn't want you to dodge because the tracking and their attacks are so much better now and more efficient towards you than the previous games. Now I like rating games or I don't like rating games, but if I rated it, I said it in discord. It's like a nine out of 10. Like I'm having a lot of fun now. I think I'm roughly a little bit more than halfway through. If I had to guess based off of my time with this versus my first time playing dark souls three, first time playing dark souls three was around 35, 40 hours to get all the way through it. Um, what I love about these games is that I'm sure there's areas that I haven't found yet. And I probably won't find until New Game Plus. Yeah, me and you talked about a couple of those uh, already. And that, that just goes to show you how early they, they introduced that. You know, yeah, the separating paths, which is good because you don't want them. That was always a thing in Dark Souls. So, Well, they brought, they brought back the traditional hub, too, where in Dark mm-hmm. Souls 3, you have, there is no real way to get back to Firelink. Yes. There, it, but in this game, there is ways to get back to the Delip... Delupa. Dilapidated Shack or whatever. Well, or Temple. I think yeah, temple, Dilapidated right? Temple, uh, which... Are pretty cool to come across because it's at some point you're exploring and i also found another secret that i did not know existed and i'm not going to spoil like what it is but the game has difficulties and if you do this specific thing it makes the game harder it specifically tells you to not do this thing or the game will become harder so what i think it is is very similar to bonfire aesthetics in dark souls 2 where you pop a bonfire aesthetic on the uh, area bonfire in Dark Souls 2, and it goes to the new game area, or it goes to new game difficulty in that area. Yeah. So I, think I do remember you talking to me about it, because I've never got that far, and like I said, Dark Souls 2 is the only one I haven't yeah. beaten. So that, um, it's very, uh, I, but this is for the entire game. Now, whether it affects everything, I don't know. Like, whether it affects bosses and enemies, or mini-bosses and enemies, or everything. Now, is it something you did accidentally know. do? or is I did not, no, 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 well... I don't know. I, I, there's a note. But the it, game does tell you, or is it something you have to find as well? Well, there's a note attached to the thing. So, like, yeah. I don't but I don't know if you could technically, like, I don't know if the game tells you not to do it if you just go up and do it without paying attention to the note. So, like... Yeah, okay, that, that's interesting. Because what I was going to say is, it, it, for a second there, it sounded like you were talking about a, a way for the game to do something that makes it harder without it even telling you one way or the other, but you just notice an increase. I don't, um, yeah, I don't know if you complete the action. I don't know if you... I do know that there is a way to get rid of it, because I had to look it up on Reddit what this like what it did, and yeah. even some people were still kind of unsure. But... Um, there is apparently a way to dispel it, the, the the thing that happens to you. I think I might know what you're talking about, out of curiosity. Yeah. Is it something you can do early on? 
very early on, yeah. Okay, I think I know what it might be, but we'll talk about that. Uh, but what I was getting at real quick is that it, it sounds like, and this is just going back, it's not something I've ever been able to actually, like, you know, I don't know if it's true or not, uh, but I had a buddy who used to love, Josh is his name, and he used to love playing Resident Evil 4 over and over and over and over to the point where he, like, knew every little thing. And he swore that whenever he would play the game, and would run through Resident Evil 4 and shoot all 10 of the medallions you can shoot early on to if you can if you shoot 8 or 9 of the 10 medallions early on um then it may not even be that many but just for purpose of the story essentially if you shoot more than you're required to the game goes up in difficulty he's you know there's 10 medallions around or something like that and you have to shoot 6 to 8 of them and if you do then you get a pistol that lets you shoot through two enemies at once and it's really really helpful early on I remember that I did not know that game it made it harder I see again. I've never been able to actually verify this, but he swears true. it. And you know how many times someone's played a game, you know if they feel like I noticed that people are that the enemies are harder and are taking more bullets. But again, I don't know. It's just it would be cool. I like the idea of a game having a weird. I don't even know what you'd really call that hidden difficulty where, you know, cause there's not a hard mode well, in, in that game. As far as I can recall, it's been a while since I played four, but it'd be cool to introduce hard mode through an odd thing that you do or don't have to do. You know what I mean? So, I don't yeah, know how true it is either, but... I really don't think that's true. If it is, it's not... It's not something that's ever been actually verified? Mm-mm. No, it doesn't say anything on the wiki, so who knows. But what have you been playing? Uh, I have been playing... I did play Sekiro a little bit, uh, but it was frustrating me a little bit, and I got to the point where I was like, well, you know, I'm getting pretty close to the Platinum and New Dawn, so I'm going to go back to playing New Dawn, and um, then I started up the Division 2 uh, and played with Ryan and John, shout out guys, and also played with Blake, uh, who has made his way back over to PlayStation for the time being. So that's been fun. I've been playing with him. I have not had to play that game by myself at all, which has been nice, uh, which was in stark contrast to what I did with Anthem. I played Anthem almost entirely by myself. So it's, it's weird the way I'm yeah. going about them. But, uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about Anthem a little bit. There is some some new stuff about it. But I'm going to pick that game up soon. I just got to beat Sekiro first. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out because after I get through this, I – Really, the next game I want to work heavily into my little rotation is going to be Hollow Knight because it's a game I still haven't gotten to get around to and it's just bumming me out. So I think that's the next forced game game for me to do is like, you know, when I beat, maybe when I platinum New Dawn, maybe, I don't know. I might go, when I platinum New Dawn, I might go back to Sekiro and really just try it out and see if I can get notably further. Last time I was playing, I actually didn't get... It wasn't that I was getting killed. I was stuck because I didn't realize why I didn't have the key. And I finally figured it out, and I just haven't played since I got the key. So, again, I wasn't I wasn't stuck from a difficulty level. I was stuck from a... I can't move forward because the game says the door's locked. But yeah, that's can get past that now. So Yeah, that's the interesting thing about Dark Souls, that you can miss key items and find the area they're in later on. Or not later on, but hidden away. Well, I don't know. Did Dark Souls ever have a specifically required key like that? I really, Absolutely. I don't remember, uh, but I guess in, it's just because it's not something that you normally think of so much in the moment. In Dark Souls 3, you can't go to, um, what is that library area called where it's the area that prefaces the Lothric Brothers? Oh, um, oh. Uh, but you have to have a key to yeah, get Yeah, and before and, you fight the, the, the guard that's on the bridge as well. Um, guard that's on the bridge? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the one that can knock the you knight. off the bridge. Yeah, the knight. But yeah, like there's the crystal sages there. You have to have a key to get into there. And I can't believe I can't believe I can't think of what it's called. Um, 
But yeah, there's a, there's a lot. Yeah, but is that see? But what I mean is that is that the required area? Like, do you yes. have do you that, have to yeah, go yeah, to that you park? Have to go there. It may just be that I've, brothers. It may be that I've always found them well, without I'm, I'm going sure, into it. You know what I mean? This sure, is the first time I can remember it feeling like it's something where I couldn't go forward because I just completely missed it. Well, what happens is is that you can actually when you kill um, a big old dude who's real easy. Can't think of his name. You get teleported to the dancer of Boreal Valley. Oh yeah, and then uh, you go, you proceed to that area that way, and the keys will be right there in front of the door. If you just go through and get to Dancer at the very beginning of the game, which you can do, you can um, go up there and progress, and the key, it will be locked because you have to kill the Lords of Cinder up until that one. That makes sense. Okay. Well, cool. Yeah, I guess now we can move on into our Yorm, Yorm the Giant. Yorm the Giant. Yeah, that's actually it. Um, all right, so I guess it's community take time, right? Sure. All right, well, the community's take, and what we're going to essentially do, and this is a big shout-out to Josh VR Reader Mail last time. He kind of brought it up, and it's a good way to kind of do it. So what we're going to start doing is we're going to essentially ask a question of the week, and it'll be on across our uh, social media. So if you follow us on any of those, I'll be posting it. I'm going to start posting it to Facebook as well so we can get a balance. Uh, but... Typically, I want the question of the week to be very focused around what we talked about the, the previous episode. Um, and if for some reason something more topical comes up, uh, like if we hadn't talked about State of Play last week and State of Play happened, then of course it still would have been about State of Play. But we're going to try and do it that way. Uh, so I took to Twitter, put that down there yesterday, very last minute, and thought about it. And essentially asked, what's the general consensus on State of Play from the announcements to the format? Um, so what we're going to do before that real quick, and this is just, I feel like it's important to it. We're going to do a quick rundown of the stuff that was announced uh, just so we can make sense of these. Uh, so nothing crazy. Uh, Marvel's Iron Man VR comes uh, 2019 to PSVR, which I found very odd because it said what's being shown is not gameplay, but it's supposed to be coming this year. So I wonder why they were so coy about not showing us gameplay. Yeah. Um, Going retro, apparently the PS4 exclusive content for CTR looks to be uh, retro thin themed skins for uh, a lot of the racers. So you get to see them in their polygon models that look very similar to what they did on PS1, uh, which I loved. It's very similar to what you saw in the beginning of uh, Crash Bandicoot remastered trilogy that they did, where before he jumps into the machine, he looks like a polygon. They made it a new they made a new model specifically for that. So that's cool. Uh, no Man's Sky, the second point of the Big Beyond release is that it's getting full PlayStation VR support this summer and other VRs, but as it pertains to PlayStation VR support, and that means the full game. It'll work with your existing save. Uh, you can play multiplayer with people. Uh, and when they're doing this online, it seems like, again, you'll just be able to play the entire game as if you you know, were playing any other way, just in VR. Not a separate mode, which is nice to see. Uh, Ready Set Heroes is a new game coming from Sony First Party Studios, a, fa a fast-paced twist on dungeon crawling. So it's like two instances of the same dungeon where you move through uh, and you have to see who gets to the end first. And the person, excuse me, who gets to the end first gets a leg up when y'all go into the battle arena phase at the end. The game doesn't look bad. I mean, it looks okay. Saw did you see it? Yeah, no, I haven't watched it. I didn't so. know if you recapped this whole thing or if you just kind of saw the announcements. I, I don't have a VR yet, so I, don't, I didn't really care. Oh, I don't think that, that one's on a VR game. That one's normal. So oh, you just didn't care about the thing as a whole. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, like I went through <laughs> and read through the things that they talked about. I didn't care enough to look into it. Yep, gotcha. All right, uh, Blood and Truth, which is a VR game coming from uh, Studio London for Sony, comes out on May 28th, so we have a reveal for that. 
uh, as long as, as well as some new stuff for it. PlayStation VR, the next wave of games coming in spring and summer 2019. They just went over a couple things on there. Uh, Observation is a new game that flips the perspective on sci-fi adventure. It's out this May on PS4, and it looks really cool. It looks like if you take the premise of 2001 A Space Odyssey and essentially made it into a game. So I like that. I think that's a really cool idea, and I want to see that through. So I'm hoping that game does well. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's VR Help Wanted is coming. We've already talked about that a little while back, but it's coming apparently very soon. Uh, first look at Concrete Genie. We got a new story trailer for it for the first time and saw, saw a whole lot more of the game, as well as the fact that it was delayed into the fall um, when it was originally thought to be coming early this year, and it didn't happen. Uh, Days Gone got a new story trailer as well and then we at the very end got a new trailer for Mortal Kombat 11 showing the past meets present trailer where you saw the original versions of characters meeting their new versions which was actually pretty funny and it's a good trailer if you haven't seen it yet and then you have any interest in Mortal Kombat so with that said we can move back over into the community's take and like I said we asked the general consensus uh, consensus on the state of play uh, all the way from the announcements themselves just to the format itself. So even if the announcements didn't strike you, did you like the format that they chose? Uh, Thomas, who is at llama fluff 42 on Twitter says, love the format. Good to see continued commitment to VR titles too. hoping state of play updates will be fairly common. Uh, maybe every two to three months. Wasn't expecting anything too big from the first one. So pretty happy overall. Uh, that's essentially I think that's about the amount of uh, the frequency I would like to see him about two to three months. Yeah. I don't think from even the way they act like it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be something that they're trying to do monthly. Uh, and this just goes to show this elapsed in my knowledge. I'm not sure if inside Xbox is every month or not. Uh, yeah, that's not something um, I keep up with either. Again, I've seen them here and there, but I've never really gone to it to that extent. Uh, so either way, if that is the time range, we don't know yet, but if that is the time range they kind of keep between them, that seems like a reasonable thing. And it seems like a good venue for showing these things off. So we're going to go real quick over to YouTube. Mr. El Tabib says, it's all about expectations. People who had high hopes were disappointed and vice versa. I had low expectations and it was meh, direct. Nothing for me was exciting and it wasn't interest, and I wasn't interested in any of the games they talked about. However, they are definitely good venues. These are definitely good venues. Uh, for announcements, especially for lower tier games. And I think that's what Sony realized. Agreed you know? 100%. They talked over and over about how the reason that they're skipping E3 and all these trade shows is that they just don't feel like they have the stuff that would be expected of those conferences. So you got to think about it this way. Let's say that Sony didn't announce anything until June, and then their E3 was essentially maybe two or three more things outside of these things, and then all of this. Would you really have been like that was a satisfying E3? No, it would have been impossible. Yeah, terrible, yeah. So, That's I mean, because it's... people's expectations weren't in check. Yeah. Do I agree that they should have done the whole show on VR? Well, yeah. Like, I mean, it's fine they did because I'm sure we're going to get some more that aren't in VR, which for that community of VR owners, then yeah, there you go. They have something good. Uh, I don't know if it, the first one made a lot of sense being VR. I think they could have showed off something here to maybe preface what the rest will be like, since the rest aren't going to be filled with VR. To, yeah, I or would you, you would. Yeah, you would think so. But um, yeah, I thought it. I agree with what Elchibib said one hundred percent. I had no expectations for it, uh, and I still thought it was pretty meh because I don't own a VR. And yeah, just I don't really care about it. Okay, like, we got one more because this kind of ties into that. So this is from Josh Shoop, the one who actually got the gave us the idea for doing the question instead. He says, admittedly, I felt a little bit let down because I thought there was going to be more. Like we said, expectations are very odd. And I'm not saying that Josh thought he was going to have E3-like reveals, but I think it was a big thing of complete mystery on all of our parts. We just didn't know what to expect. But 
hopefully the majority of people were able to keep their expectations low. But he says, also, for their first one, there was a lot of VR stuff, just like Saul said, which is great for people that own that. But I can't, I can see where non-VR owners were, I can't see where non-VR owners were able to take much away from it. Um, And I do tie into that. As a VR owner, it was exciting to see all those things. And honestly, the highlight of the entire show was No Man's Sky coming to VR because from the get-go, I've expected that game to be VR. Not because of something they said, it just seemed like such a perfect fit. Uh, and I'm so glad to be seeing it coming in a, in a way that's not even partial. It is the full game and without being a separate release. Another great move from them. They could have easily released No Man's Sky VR as a separate title. Yeah. If they really wanted to, and they could have done it cheaply. But regardless, I'm glad that they did this. It's a very smart move, and it was a big reveal for the show for people who have VR. But the flip side is right. Uh, there wasn't near as much to take away. Now, not everything was VR exclusive. Even the stuff that was shown that was VR, some of it was VR exclusive and some of it was VR modes. So like that uh, Trover Saves the Universe, which is the Squanch Games, Justin Roiland game that's coming out, is right. going to be both. Now, Squanch Games' first game was the Accounting Plus. Which was pretty much VR only. Which was VR only. So it's nice to see them kind of expanding into both. Uh, but that's just an example of games that have both. So, I agree with a lot of what was said. And the only thing I'll say lastly about VR is that while it may seem very odd and it is unfortunate for people who are not VR owners, uh, one of the great things we saw from this is that VR has reached 4.2 million units sold, which is a big increase because the last time we heard was 3 million. So, they've been doing very well, and I think it's important they show this. But in a time where you see the Vita dropping production and the Vita got, you know, the Vita was already... Sony was stopped announcing games for it pretty much two years after it, it had come out. <clears throat> it's reasonable for people to really be happy that this is happening, and I think you should view VR in that light. Even if you don't have interest for it, it's good that Sony is supporting it in as, what do you want to say, as focused as this, because it shows that, the at least for everyone else, it shows that Sony has faith in the product and they're not going to drop it as quickly as they did the Vita. Right. And that's cool. So One of the... You know, peripherals they released that they didn't drop support yet so far in its lifespan. Which exactly, kind of rare for them. Uh, move. move. If we just go back, move also was very short lived. It I was around I, I toy. a year and a half to two years. iToy was a big success, but very short lived because it was a limited technology. That one was a little more reasonable. Uh, but we've seen this across the board. Sony dropped PlayStation Move far quicker than Xbox decided to drop the um, Connect. The Connect, and be that for better or worse at least Microsoft was kind of like, we're trying to believe in this because we made it. And, and Sony just it like, bit him in the butt. Cause into it, the trash. But, you know, we're still, it was just one of those things where I, I see why people are excited that it, they are supporting the thing. So I think that's it for the community's take. We appreciate y'all's words and feedback on that. Uh, keep them coming every time we do these. We'll try and uh, put those out maybe uh, maybe the day of the episode's launching. I don't know. We'll figure out the best way to uh, get those questions out there. But thanks to everybody. And I guess it's time to move into the drop saw. So go ahead. Sure thing. So for those that don't know, the drop is this week's PlayStation's releases across all of its platforms. Pretty short up lists we have this week. First one, we have Anger Force Reloaded for PS4. Beat Blaster for PSVR, Far Lone Sales for PS4, Modern Tales Age of Invention for PS4, Monster Dynamic for PS4, Power Rangers Battle for the Grid for PS4. This one I'm going to mispronounce just because of the name. Is the, what I'm trying to equate it to is Sephirothic Stories. I think that might that, be that almost has yeah. to be it. Sephirothic, yeah, Stories. Uh, wow, another one. Scorcery for PS4. Oh, Sephirothic Stories was for PS4 as well. Uh, Sword and Fairy 6, and that's it. And that's for PS4, and uh, that's it. Pretty short list this week. Cool. 
All right, man. Well, let's see. Going to go into the news. Uh, first thing, and this one's kind of a bummer, but I'm not saying it's completely ridiculous. So we'll go ahead and go into that. Sony have announced that they will be delisting Drive Club, Drive Club VR, and Drive Club Bikes starting in August with server shutdown set for March 2020. Sony is no stranger to closing down servers on their games after attempting, if y'all remember, to shut down the Gravity Rush 2 servers. Uh, not even a full year, but pretty close to a full year um, after the game had released. Again, a niche title, but uh, luckily people really fought them back on that and they extended it another six to eight months, I want to say, something like that. Uh, and then they tried pushing again, but Sony finally went ahead. Sony's quick to shoot a sick horse. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. Uh, you know, Drawn to Death just recently had its servers shut down about a year after release. Kill Strange servers were cut down about a year after release. Um, so we're seeing Sony have a lot less room for bloat in this but the thing about that is drive club sales if i'm not mistaken and i very well could be i'm gonna double check myself real quick um i think drive club as a total brought them somewhere around three million sales and it's it's a big shift in the that's way it well that but you gotta think about three million that's more than devil may cry 5 is hitting so far you know what i yeah, mean but this is over how long oh yeah but i mean this is over what i think drive club came in 15 yeah Maybe, yeah, but I mean, and it's a it's the very it's it's a very niche, almost niche. Uh, it's a it's a smaller genre, genre than it which, used to be. Yeah. yeah, but people have been craving racing game, and I'm I'm mm -hmm. surprised it only made three. I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to double check real quick, but even then, I mean, essentially, what I mean by that is three million. There was a point in time, and not even that long ago, that three million sales was not considered a slouch. You know what I mean? Um, well, I mean, so, it's not exactly a slouch, but for a Sony-produced game that came out three years ago, only having average a million sales per year, well, and I don't, it's surprising. And a lot a of that was game. a lot of that was front-loaded. You got to think about so, like another game to think about is the Order eighteen eighty six. So these are games that a lot of their sales are front-loaded. Yeah, they still sell um, the the Order eighteen eighty six. And actually, if we're going to get into that real quick, I think the reason that well, eighteen eighty six got killed by word of mouth. Within a well, week well, release. sure, but so did also. Drive Club had a pretty rocky development to start with, and it was delayed. Well, well with then, the release, they didn't have <clears throat> word of mouth going into one hundred percent against like Order did, where there yeah. was like YouTube video. People are uploading YouTube videos to show you the game could be beaten in like six hours or five hours, just to prove a point. Like Drive Club didn't have that kind of like assassination i should say put on it yeah i mean i can give you that but again it's just one of those w areas where sony do not have near as much slack as it seems they used to there was a point in time where their games doing three million was considered a good thing i'd almost go as far to, to be curious as to what numbers infamous second son did um uh, i would say probably around six is what i would guess i mean to be and to be fair it's hard really hard <laughs> to find this information solidly sorry i keep having to clear um, my throat for those that yeah, you're may fine. be able to hear me uh, but, you know, right here we're looking at around 3.1 million. Now, this is VG charts. Nope, nope, They're nope. not accurate. Get that um, out of here. But it is, you know, something to go off of. It gives you an idea. Uh, I would no, equate that all, to five or six. No, the reason I say I'm not surprised by that is Infamous is a niche series. Infamous 1 and 2 did not sell that well. Yeah, but it came out in a time in which there wasn't a lot of PS4 games that can prove its worth. I mean, I'll give you that. It was an exclusive, but it also came out early. No, I'm just talking I'm about it came, about out, sales, it came out in a launch window, and there wasn't a lot of games to compare it to. Like you had Killzone, you had Knack, you had Infamous. So if you wanted to buy a game that you would think would get the best performance for what this new generation has to offer, you would buy that game. Yeah, I know people who bought that game. I mean, I, that yeah, I get, I get what and you're I saying. I ended up loving the uh, the series because of that. 
and uh, from the weakest game. And I, I say that as somebody who platinum didn't enjoy the game, but it was still the weakest game in the series. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I mean is that there was a point in time where these things, but we've seen that from the order as well. The order but sold around think, 2 million. Do you think um, that everything should be shut down because of it? Well, okay. I think there's a number of things going on. I think that they can't sell the game anymore. They're probably getting delisted specifically because of some kind of a license agreement. I'm, I'm almost positive. There's no reason for them to delist a game that could potentially sell. It's not really taking up a lot of server room. It doesn't take them a lot to do it. The game probably has to sell enough. Well, I'm assuming this is very similar to what we saw with Deadpool and things like that. A uh, license agreement that would cost them more to be able to renew than it's going to be uh, worth. So they're shutting it down. And the reason that they have to follow through, and this is just speculation, but the reason that I think they have to follow through with the server shutdown is that they don't want to keep servers alive on a game that they can't even actually sell anymore. Well, I just so there's just essentially no reason to keep it going. Didn't Drive Club have a free model? Two? Yes, it that did. might be what I'm thinking of. Oh, that might be why I'm surprised that it, it had a PS Plus. Originally, it was announced that it was going to be a, a PS, PS Plus game. Yeah. Then they did a PS Plus version that was the whole game, but with a lot of uh, not many cars, and you had to kind of get the Paywalls, cars. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was weird, but I mean, um, essentially that's what it was. Is you could play the game so much before you just you could either buy the full version if you wanted to. So I mean unfortunate for them and you know really that that developer just didn't get to live on you know they're the people that moved on after sony shut the studio down uh evolution they went on to make uh to join game masters i want to say or code masters or this uh, and made uh the oh what was that game called how's it leaving my mind we got it on ps plus very recently uh, on rush so and, oh, and yeah. on Rust did very poorly as well. So it just seemed like it was faded for them as a developer. Next up, though, Sega will be bringing another PS4 exclusive from Japan to the West with a recent announcement that the new Sakura Wars title will be coming West in 2020 after the winter 2019 release in the East. So this is again, Sega's been doing well uh, with like Judgment Eyes uh, with getting the games out within you know a five to six month period for localization. It's not too bad, and if you if you can always expect it that way, it's pretty solid. Um, Gearbox, and actually, you know what? We're going to hold off on that. I, I just moved it down to the yeah, bottom. <laughs> I just realized it. it didn't move on mine yet, but we'll, we'll hold off on that. Uh, Cause Horizon, the next thing we're going to talk about, the infamous Ridge Racer man himself uh, is retiring from his position as Sony Corporation Chairman on June 18th. Last February, it was announced that he was leaving the position of CEO uh, that April, so April 2017, uh, since, or 2018, sorry. Since then, he's acted as chairman, and despite his retirement, Sony says Harai will still, quote, continue to provide counsel as requested by Sony's management team, acting as senior advisor for the company, end quote. Uh, and I looked it up, because you remember a couple weeks back we were talking about uh, whether Ken Kutaragi was still involved. He is their uh, senior technology advisor, uh, but he's also essentially retired and moved on to a whole other company, but occasionally they'll, they'll use him and for for his thoughts on things um so you know what for all the jokes and memes and everything that's happened around cause i mean he's done a great great service to sony getting them back on their feet he came in at a time when they were doing very poorly and he brought them back up to be a great company and he also supported playstation at a time when the company wasn't doing well in a way that was very smart because as we see now playstation is the whole reason the company has been able to even survive so good for them uh, i'm glad he's still going to be at least somehow an advisor for the company uh, but we'll see how things go moving forward so anything like that to that no i'm just glad he's uh moving on with his life and i hope he's happy yep and now saw this one's interesting but i think you've talked about it before with me and you didn't care for it but longtime pc exclusive torchlight 2 is coming to consoles uh with perfect world entertainment announcing that panic button the developer responsible for many notable switch ports be it for better or worse depending on how you feel about them will be bringing an enhanced version of the game to consoles featuring multiplayer new quests new character classes and 
more when it launches this fall. Yeah, I'll try it out on PC. wasn't a huge fan of it, but I tried again. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, these games are as long as it takes, and I imagine that it will. The Diablo style of, uh, and it's always just confused the hell out of me that Diablo does not want to let the console control scheme be an option on computer. I don't see why not, but um, it'll probably take that where you have a direct control of the character. I actually prefer the PC controls though. Oh yeah. I'm just saying it's fine. I find it odd to me that you can't do it. Thing is the PC controls won't work on a console. Like, can you imagine playing Diablo like you do on PC with a controller unless you actually use the keyboard and mouse? Yeah. Smash an X every time you wanted to go somewhere. It'd be awful. And you'd have to have a, you'd have to use the analog stick as a, a cursor. It'd be awful. So I'm sure that's what's going to happen. And either way, I'm excited to see that. It sucks because the original developer for the game, Runic Games, is closed down. To the people that's that what I was hobbed. just looking into. Yeah. I was like, I thought I remember hearing them closing down entirely. Yeah. And that's, Hob is probably the reason that uh, Panic Button's working on it. Panic Button did the switch port for Hob. So gotcha. makes sense they would just keep going with it. Next up, though, Media Molecule have finally announced that Dreams Early Access is going to be starting on April 16th, meaning you can get your hands on the parcel game, remember that, for $29.99. But this is a good thing. Early Access includes the full creation suite, but does not support Dreams VR, which is something they intend to do for the final release. Doesn't include the story mode and potentially any other feature that might make its way into the full release. But Early Access does grant the full game to early adopters when it releases, meaning you can have a full game for half the price if you want to jump in and support it early on. Um, they which keep is saying, a weird decision. They keep saying there's game. limited spots, and I, I know that their big thing is they want to... I, I actually consider this to be smart for one particular reason. It's odd. It is incredibly odd. The reason I think it's smart is you get this game out now, the people who have been literally just like frothing in the mouth and even over the beta when they did it and making, uh, you know, the creators essentially, when they've been making these things, the best way to make this game do well on full release is to let creators in now, give them an incentive to do so. Yeah. Um, and then when the game does fully launch, people can go in day one with tons of pre-made games on there. That they know the that, yeah, that they know they want to play because they've seen YouTube videos or Twitch exactly. videos. Exactly. And the, the beta Twitter did very videos. big for that. You know, the beta got them a lot of attention with people making things that nobody PT. expected and doing so in a way that people were like, oh, wow. Like, I, like we've been saying from the get-go, nobody knew what this game was going to really be, able, be capable of because we've never seen anything like it. And, I mean, that's... Again, for better or worse, and whether you think that Media Molecule has wasted time and money, which I guess at this point it's fair to say that they have wasted time and money having to reboot development over and over and over. Um, but I'm hoping that this ends up launching as a really unique game and uh, maybe Media Molecule won't be shut down. Um, I don't know, and I, I, I wish the best for them. I mean, I have a big fondness for both Tearaway and Little Big Planet, so I hope just off of that fondness that they can keep their jobs and keep going. And I think Dreams looks really cool, but the you know market and community are going to be the people that determine that. So uh, next up PSVR, as we've already talked about, it has a ton of announcements coming lately. It gets a fast paced cross platform shooter announcement in the way of Telefrag VR aiming to release simultaneously across PSVR, HTC Vive and Oculus Rift later this year and feature fast paced multiplayer that is across all three platforms. So it will be a cross platform game. It's pretty cool. Uh, and it doesn't look bad. It was a very short little teaser, but if you were interested in the idea of that at all and have a VR or may have been interested in it, Go check it out. Uh, getting back over to Anthem, like we talked about earlier in Tease, BioWare's quick turnaround time and getting out updates seems to be biting them a little bit as Anthem's 1.04 or 1.0.4 patch continues the pattern of the updates causing as many problems or more as they solve. 
uh, definitely when it comes to loot. So this is, I've not played the game. This is not my take on it. This is just the vocal bit of the community and Reddit and whatnot is where I'm kind of getting this from and just viewing it over to you. So the patch introduced uh, legendary missions, much higher difficulty versions of critical path missions, which I'm assuming they mean story missions. Uh, they introduced Elysian caches, uh, which appear at the end of strongholds and contain vanity items and crafting materials, and they have a promise that you'll never get the same vanity item twice. I think that might be a bit of a big promise a for people stretch. who literally play that game over and over again. There's supposed to be 67 at launch vanity items. So I wonder what happens when you hit your cap. Do you just stop getting them? Maybe. And, you, and maybe they give you even better crafting materials in, in the wake of it. I don't know. Uh, the Elysian caches require an Elysian key which uh, to open, which are earned from completing daily challenges and gives each member, and this is pretty cool, each member of the expedition loot. So even if you didn't have the Elysian key but you were in a party with someone who did, you're going to get loose, loot out of that Elysian chest because you were in the party with them. That's a cool idea. I actually it is like kind of cool, yeah. Uh, now... The bigger thing it does, and this is what I've been saying from day one, it makes the forge accessible from anywhere in Fort Tarsus or the launch, the launch bay and removes the need for a load screen when entering. It sounds like from their wording you're still going to have to have one when exiting, which is a little more reasonable because you're changing some stuff around, but this is a step in the right direction. So uh, where it comes down to the vocal community, members are upset that the patch has introduced more bugs, which they say include health bugs, loot drop bugs, and issues with Elysium drops not showing up. So what we were talking about with those Elysium caches. Um, alongside more issues with the loot systems, RNG. Uh, so really what that comes down to, like I said, regardless of how much the actual fan base who's currently playing this and is not the people who are going to go jump on Twitter or Reddit. Uh, we All we know is that the people who are at least on the social media side of things, the game has not been able to catch a break since launch from social media. Even from the people who enjoy the game and want to see it do better, at least the people who are willing to get up on there. I have seen very mild defense from the game for people saying this is all people who haven't, either, who haven't tried the patch and all these different things. I don't know enough about that, but this is one thing that, it's odd for me to say. Originally, I was giving them credit for being able to turn around on these so quickly, but if turning around these updates so quickly means that you're getting them out in a fashion that may not be the best state, they can't afford even lightly pissing anybody off. So Bungie, and this is just an ex a good example and, and something I'm going to give Bungie credit for, Bungie are a lot slower to update Destiny 2 as quickly when there are errors that come up, but... They are more likely than not when they finally do these things, they take enough time and when they come out, for the most part, it fixes all the problems that they aim to fix. Uh, and then the other thing is, is that this might be an example where I think Bioware might need to copy this example, go away for a month or two. And the thing about it is, is it's a little bit of a risk. I know that could be to the death of the game. No, you, do have your, you just have community managers helping out like on places like Reddit and wherever else. Exactly. you got to be discussed. as vocal as you can saying, listen, we're taking our time because we want this next one to be right and finally put the game where it's supposed to be. And then, you know, go away for a month or so instead of trying to update every week and come out with a patch that fixes all of these things and gets the game in a position where people are enjoying playing it until they can start getting this extra content going. Yeah. Either way, I hope that this can get turned around for them. I enjoyed the game, and I only took a break from it uh, because I was platinum grinding and started getting just a little bit bored of it because I played 80 to 100 hours. Um, 
it's just one of those things where I decided there's other games I need to be playing, so I'm going to take a break. I do plan to go back and get my last three trophies, two of which I'm almost hit, and they're not tied to anything crazy. And one is collectible, so we will see how that goes down. But we have a couple more things on here. Uh, the April PS Plus games have been announced, and are Conan, Exiles, and The Surge. Both of those will be available today after this episode goes live. Uh, so if you've been interested in either one of them, grab them for free. The Surge, as much as we give crap to Saul about it being his favorite game, it's, an, it's not a bad game my constant description of it is it's an uninspired game it's a game that's solid it doesn't really have any problems bug wise it doesn't really look terrible but i don't know if it was because of the speed of trying to get it out and they couldn't hold anymore or what the game just doesn't feel that unique and also has a lot of repetition in the enemy design i hope that they can really expand on that and learn in the surge 2 and actually make a better game but i'm not holding my breath but it's not a terrible game and i think it's something that's free to play that if you ever have a time to sit down it's not an awful example of how to do something like that so yeah mm. put it in your backlog and never play it <laughs> all right let's see uh the last thing here is that during a financial call for investors cd project red confirmed that cyberpunk 2077 to no one's surprise will be at e3 2019 and have gone on to say and this is surprising that it will be the most important ever for the company this came alongside talk that a cross-gen release for the title is indeed possible possible mm. i don't know what they mean by that now does that mean that we're expecting a release date for the game that's going to be so far away that it could be stretching across two gens or are they going to go the route of releasing the game and then if the new consoles come out six to eight months later, they just also release a version that's improved for the consoles? I believe Loki Fenra asked me this question uh, relating to cross-gen, and I don't like cross-gen just for the fact that one game has to suffer while <clears throat> it's not the best performing or best-looking game possible for the next gen. So, like, I understand that people who are not going to be able to afford or get to the next gen, uh, they won't be able to play the game. But honestly, like, I don't like cross-gen. It's just, it seems like it's such a weird, like, space in gaming. Well, and some of it is also <clears throat> the way we're doing it now, right? Because what's the point of a cross-gen release realistically? Like, you're saying when you're, they're, they're likely not going to be able to fully leverage the next-gen console since it wasn't made for the ground up from it. What's the point of that if we actually do get backwards compatibility announced consoles? Exactly. That's so going to be the bigger thing. We haven't had that in a while. I'm pretty sure I actually mentioned that, mentioned that when talking to Loki about it, is that if backwards compatibility becomes a thing, which we are seeing likely chances, hopefully, but uh, you wouldn't need like any kind of cross-gen uh, unless it came out on Xbox, and Xbox stopped supporting cross or not cross-play, but uh, backwards compatibility, but I don't see that happening because that's one of the biggest... Uh, perks for being an Xbox gamer right now. So it's kind of in a weird space in which it doesn't make sense for me. Um, and I don't really, I just, I never liked cross gen stuff. Even if it's stuff that I knew I couldn't afford at the time, I just knew that like Shadow of Mordor, or no. Shadow of War? Shadow of War. No, no. Shadow of Mordor is the first one. I'm sorry. Yeah, You're Shadow right. yeah. of Wardor. Mordor. That's not even the game I'm thinking of though. Um, the other sword, uh, sword and Shield game that was cross-gen. Sword and Shield game that was cross-gen? Yeah. That's uh, a good question. I don't know. Almost close to launch on PS4. I'm pretty sure it was a PS4 and PS3 exclusive. Taunted a hard difficulty. Seth had it. Had major issues. Bound by Flame. I don't think it was an exclusive. But was it know, not? But it was a cross-gen game. Yeah. And it was uh, quite a difficult game. Yeah. Yeah. I had that game. Uh, but... I felt like the game suffered because it tried to uh, develop for two consoles, two drastically different consoles. Also a double-A game. 
just to yeah, throw that out there. Yeah, that game um, did not perform well like, at all. No. Now let's let's view a so my side of that's a little different. Whenever I was doing cross platform or, or whenever I got the PS4, it, it's that thing. I do agree with you that the games t- tend to not use them as strongly as they could. But like a perfect example for me is that Thief came out as a cross gen game for PS4 and for I PS3. I keep about Thief, yeah. And I bought Thief on PS4 because I had a PS4. It seemed odd to buy it for PS3, even if it was barely better than the PS3 version. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, but it didn't make sense to buy it for PS3 because you wanted to utilize your new console. Exactly. So that's, I guess, why cross gen exists, but... But cross gen stops needing to exist from what we're talking about yeah. when backwards compatibility becomes a thing because at that point I could have just still used my DualShock Four and my PlayStation Four and played the PS3 version and been probably fine. And you know, I mean, it's indifferent. I guess you could say for some people, if we're getting to a point, you know, one of the things that Microsoft is doing is talking about forwards compatibility, and I don't know that PlayStation's going to do that. I really doubt it because they want to really push the systems as much as possible. Yeah, that's a weird concept. But to think about there might be an idea to where you can have a backwards compatible game that can look and go oh you're playing back essentially the same idea as uh, uh enhanced backwards compatibility so think about it with like red dead you know red dead got a 4k patch and some up and some yeah smooth textures. One X. essentially think about a backwards compatibility to that instead of a cross-gen game you get the game for a ps4 in this case uh, if we're talking about um cyberpunk and then it sees that you're playing it on a ps5 and goes oh you're playing on a system that has more power we can actually run this stuff because of that extra power on this game so essentially what it, it would be cross gen with just a, essentially a patch yeah i mean that's kind of what pro mode and boost mode are right? yeah uh what is it called ps4 pro enhancement kind of no is it enhancements well i mean it, it upscales <laughs> a resolution and it runs at a higher fr- or a steadier frame rate than yeah typically. essentially just pulls Which, it to I'll utilize say, the extra power it's, uh, it's like an evolution of that well i was gonna say let's be honest here if the next console comes out next year there's not gonna be a huge difference in fidelity in terms of graphicals like graphical fidelity is not going to be over like, the Xbox be... One X, no. Over the PS4 Pro, yeah. Well, yeah. well, I'm talking about the current standard, which is the Xbox One X yeah, versus sure. now. Sure, Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Density, game engine, stuff like that, you'll see evolve pretty pretty fairly well. But the launch games for PS5, don't expect something like the launch games for PS4 with Infamous Second Son and its particle effects and stuff. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to get some cool stuff there, but it's going to be... It depends on who's working on it, because I think actually my go-to example for launch... I mean... Second Son's a great one for that, uh, but Killzone Shadowfall is a really well, great Gorilla, launch title. Like, yeah, Gorilla uh, is a great Horizon thing, so. 2 could be a launch title for PS5. And it something. actually might leverage the system pretty well. It, it does depend, yeah. but I'm, I do agree with you. Across the board, don't expect as too much. Yeah, and, uh, and the but, sad thing is you can't really make people happy because if Horizon... It's also keeping your expectations low, but go ahead, sorry. Yes, I was going to say Horizon 2, if that was a launch title for PS5 and only PS5, you're going to get the upset people who say, well, I played this on PS4, why can't I play it on PS4? <laughs> Yeah, so, but that always happens, and eventually you just got to say, well, because the PS4 is a dying system for us, and you know we just we're moving on to having to support the new one, and you gotta got to give you a reason to buy the new you one. You got to leave technology behind if you want it to advance forward. Yeah, it's one of those weird things. But anyway, with that said, that's the end of news. So, Saul, how do you want to how do you want to jump into this? Do you want to? So, me and Brett were talking about with the announcement of Borderlands Three coming out. I can cover that. Yeah, it, it's been kind of a long road since we've had a Borderlands game or specifically Borderlands 2. And I guess what I'd say is specifically a Gearbox Borderlands game because the last game was not the Borderlands. The pre-sequel I mean, not, Yeah, the pre-sequel uh, Tales from the Borderlands. Were which, both offshoots from different developers. Which they're also putting into the game. Which yeah. is cool. So, Reese. yeah, you could see Reese in there. And which is cool. Yeah, I loved that game a lot. But, uh, Tales from the Borderlands. But, uh, Borderlands 2 cornered a market in which 
it became king. It became king of looter style shooters because it was and pretty much the only on the market at the time. There yeah, was a was little. Very, there was mild competition. It was maybe, very but. rare for on a console to have a first person shooter that revolved around loot and only loot with a pretty somewhat I wouldn't say deep but a pretty good story with cool secrets it it had a package and the package was pretty massive for what it was and very quickly other companies well real quick would you call that like really it dealt with loot but would you say that it was like one of the first games or at least in its time period it was one of the only console games that was coming out and was doing working towards having a system that was all about the the gameplay loop of being this kind of RPG setup where you have quests and stuff, but the whole loop is always about getting that next best gun. Well, that's typically that an MMO trait too. Like, yeah, that's true. But gear, and that's, and again, we're talking about on consoles. consoles. Those existed on consoles, though. Not as common. You know, well, you had I, you essentially had Final Fantasy Eleven online right. for a while, and then you had Final Fantasy. Yeah, all the Fantasy Stars when they were on consoles, but that was last. And they were also they were also Japan only at that point. No, know? they weren't. There was a Fantasy Star online for on Xbox. PS on PS2 and Xbox, um, right? Yeah, yeah, on Xbox. Yeah, you said PS2. I was like, wait. Yeah, but yeah. But I think it was on PS2. Because even Final Fantasy XI made its way to Xbox 360 and just didn't get... Nobody played it on 360, so they stopped supporting it. Um, Yeah, maybe. Uh, But yeah, like it kind of cornered an area of of a genre that nobody had, and that was instead of playing PvP, which at the time was massive with Call of Duty and Halo raining down way, 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 way higher uh, players than something like Borderlands, but it became what was a small niche at first and then very quickly snowballed into a very, very big market. And that is almost, uh, I would say one of the prime examples and the grandfather of the current market we have today. That is the looter shooter games as a service with destiny division Anthem. all these games that have been coming out took inspiration from borderlands. Yeah. And we've already had essentially, when you think about it, we've already had, two big releases of those types of games this year alone already with Anthem and Division 2. We've seen De- uh, Destiny 2 keeping its up- uh, updates coming and you've seen Warframe keeping its updates yeah, also, going. And these like, are, those like, are another one. It's Warframe as well. Yeah, those are the four games I'd say are really it right now. Yeah, they are um, a game that's going to suck you in and have a story that's going to work pretty well for your needs and be and have cool lore in pretty much all of these and then the what's really going to keep you playing daily is the challenges, the gameplay loop, the loot loop and all Yeah, the loot grind things. essentially. Yeah. It's, it's what drives you to play. It's well, I need that gun, but to get that gun I've got to do this. Yeah, so, and you're working towards an, a greater end goal which would be raids, which something Borderlands never really had. Borderlands had hidden bosses that was really cool. And then they had uh, typically the story mode. You would play PVE with people. Uh, there was no uh, raids of any kind. It'd be interesting to see if there are in Borderlands 3. Yeah. So what we'll do real quick is I want to break off and do this little news piece. And then we can kind of uh, continue the conversation off of that. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. So Gearbox had their PAX panel, which we've talked about a little bit. They were teasing things over and over again. Uh, finally giving us a load of new info about their popular Borderlands franchise. Borderlands franchise. First off, Borderlands 1 is indeed coming to PS4 in 4K HDR with some quality of life improvements and launches April 3rd, which is Wednesday. Odd release, but uh, two days after this goes live. Borderlands The Handsome Collection will be getting the 4K HDR treatment with a patch that goes live on the 3rd as well. Borderlands 2 VR is getting the game's DLC, which was absent at release, and I was kind of bummed about that. 
added for free, which is nice. And last but not least, Borderlands 3 was shown as we talked about, revealing returning characters, the new villains, uh, and every Borderlands fan's fantasy, a gun with legs, which is actually pretty cool. I, of yeah. all the things, that was the one part that really made me smile. And seeing Reese, I was like, that's kind of nice. Yeah, I like that Reese is in there. Uh, no release date was given for Borderlands 3, but more information is set to come out on April 3rd alongside all the other Borderlands stuff hitting. There have been people who have been looking at numbers and different things in the in the reveal trailer and saying that's going to come out on October. Uh, in October, and there's some people who are taking the because it's apparently a zero one and then a one zero somewhere in the trailer. And yeah, they're hex codes. So people are saying that that's either October first if you're looking at it from like a European standpoint where they put date month year, or it's January first. Um, or January 10th, I'm sorry, of next year. So right now, we don't know, but hopefully we'll learn more and get an idea. But they showed off enough for me to think that it's probably coming pretty soon. Uh, and uh, with that, me and Saul's discussion was, what do you do with a series like Borderlands that's not been in this generation really at all with a new entry? And how does it face up against all these new games that have come out in its genre and improved upon them and even kind of evolved the genre to a point where now, like Saul said, it's more than just a looter shooter. It's a looter shooter with games as a service codes. in mind. Shift codes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I am personally really, really, really excited. I I can't remember if I mentioned it before, but Borderlands was one of the games that I played so much of. Borderlands 2 specifically. I did play Borderlands 1, but I liked Borderlands 2 a lot more. Uh, Borderlands 2 was towards the end of my Xbox era where me and two other friends played that game for probably... I wouldn't even guess. I'm just going to say hundreds, if not maybe even a thousand hours. I think and we've talked about this. You, Gavin, and Joe? Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. Me, Gavin, and Casey. Ke oh, yeah. yeah that's Joe right. never that's played right. Borderlands. That's right. Uh, but that was towards the end of that era for me, which I got really kind of tired of Borderlands uh, just because of the sheer amount of uh, hours that I put into it. I got tired of Call of Duty for being somewhat the same thing every year. I got tired of Halo for the changes it was making. And that's when I got worn out of the same repeated grind of things that were coming out and that's why that's when i took that break and then found out or remembered demon souls and got the ps3 and everything sure. so borderlands 3 or 2 was one of the last games i actually played last gen uh, and i am i'm really excited because there's a special feeling with borderlands and i really like the aspect of playing with friends with one set goal in mind uh for the style of missions that this game or the series gives you because the game series, they always have the cool villains. They always have cool sidekicks. They always have cool NPCs. They always have um, cool hidden secrets around the map. It's really, really, really uh, a nice experience to have. And I don't think that this degree will lessen any much more than that. So here's kind of my thing. So would you consider Borderlands 2's DLC to be a games-as-a-service light treatment? Kind of like not truly games-as-a-service, but finding ways to make you continue playing with new things until finally it was done. Guess, Unlike something like destiny, which constantly aims for new updates over and over. And then a new DLC essentially that hits as a big, a big well, expansion, I guess or, kind of because it, it kind of did what halo did, what call of duty did, where it's more content. Yeah. So, and because of the so, way the game worked, it was like, well, you have new weapons to get new characters to play with, to get these weapons and new areas to explore potentially depending on what you were doing. So, I mean, in that sense, what, what I'm kind of getting at is... Something to increase the long, uh, longevity of a game. Do you think they should stick with that and then just keep going with it? Or do you think they should go more towards the weekly reset thing that we've been seeing all the other games do? I don't want do? that in Borderlands. See, that's what I was going to say. So, one thing that we talked about was how does Borderlands stack up in a, in a time period where it's full of these games, like Saul was talking about, but... 
what they might be able to do to actually survive is if they've these are the important things to talk about. I would say that playing Borderlands 2 not even that long ago, even on Vita actually, and then I played it on other consoles as well. Uh, and I'm about to start Borderlands 2 VR, which I think will be a more interesting experience because of the VR element to it and with the aim controller. Um, but with that in mind, you know, one of the things about the Borderlands games is that their shooting mechanics don't hold up as well now that we have all these new games coming out in the market that do the shooting so much better. So I'd say the first thing that Borderlands 3 needs to do, in my opinion, is to make sure that they really refine their gunplay in a way that's satisfying in a time period where first-person shooters are viewed very differently than they used to be because of these yeah. style of games. This is before the mindset of almost of a... Uh, I, I do... I don't know about baby games as a service kind of being somewhat something that would be rightfully called, but this was before it wanted you to replay and come back every day. What I like about Borderlands is that it does that successfully without having to update things week to week to week. And there's still a finality to the game. Yes. Where you can actually sit there and say without question, I have done everything this game has to offer. There are cool guns to grind, to get. There is cool bosses to go find and grind. There is cool areas to find. The stories are always pretty fun. And then, of course, you do all that one character. You, there's literally a completely different character on the other side of the game that you can play as as well. Uh, and that goes back to something you like, which is character builds in games like yes, this. Yes, so, you can make your own character builds. They have character trees. One thing that was interesting is a lot of people so disappointed disappointment that this was not the first thing that was going to let you make your own uh, Vault Hunter. Now... Are you in that view set as well, or do you consider the four different I protagonists like, to be different enough to somewhat askew the need for character creation? I like the already created characters. They tend to have one more life for them for what they are and can kind of interact better with everything that goes on in those games. Well, and I'd say that you can create, and I, I, I could see the argument, let's just use Borderlands 2 for an example. I could see the argument we could say, well, you know, maybe you wanted to play a Zero so you could be more nimble and have the sword and all these things and these different abilities. Yeah, or you could play as Mordecai. Yeah, and then some people would say, like, you know, well, why can't you just make a character and then choose the loadout from which of these characters you would want? Yeah, so instead of linking them to a character, instead of saying, oh, Zero's the one who's more nimble and has a sword and all these that's different be- abilities. That's because unlike what Destiny tries to do, which they do it well for what it is, but they try to insert you into the story as your own character with your own past and everything, where this is already set up for you. And typically, with the writing that Gearbox does for these games, is really done well. And the story feels like it's done well. You're going after exactly what I've always said as to why I don't like character creation. And I guess it just depends for you. It's all about the quality of the people who are doing it. But you, you brought up a great example. Is not, Destiny 2 doesn't make you feel present in the world because there is no history. There's nothing they can really play off of except for the events of the games themselves. Right. Well, it's not only that, though. It's, it's not just based off the quality. It's based off of whether there's a formula already at work that needs to be changed or not. And I think... So Borderlands has always done this. You don't feel yes, the need to change it because formula, it's part of a working formula. It's very familiar of a formula and it works really well okay i could see where that. destiny having destiny the fact that it launched with a character creation is fine because bungie can handle a sci-fi story done pretty well however if bungie or if destiny one had a preset character and then all of a sudden in two you edited your own character it'd be kind of weird i do agree with that even though so that's and that's where it is for me is that like borderlands 3 is something i'm heavily looking forward to and i think i'm gonna get a lot of enjoyment and a lot of time out of and I'm kind of hesitant, though, to think about the way Gearbox will use its uh, game model. If it's going to go from a play, if it's going to go from what it was to a, a, a classical looter shooter, or is it going to go to a games as a service and rely on weekly to monthly updates with content that's going to add? 
uh, it's not going to hinder the experience at all, but it's going to almost make me wonder the same thing that Anthem makes me wonder or Destiny makes me wonder is that at launch there's there could have been more. And we're just getting it later down the road for $30 more. For whatever so, reason yeah. that they want to find it, whether they ran out of time or because they specifically Where, wanted to separate it so that they could make money off of it because that was the publisher's plan. Yeah. These and are all... back Way back when, for me, I don't know if everybody feels this way, but for me, when DLCs would launch last generation, it felt like an addition to the game that they had been working on since the game came out. It did not feel like missing content because at those points in that generation, most games felt complete. There are times in which a game will release this generation that does not feel complete. Well, okay. I guess that's kind of where the interesting thing is. So would you not consider the looter shooters to an extent, the ones that we have now, these games as a service ones, be it Destiny, Anthem, all these things, do you not feel like they partially feel that way because they're made to not feel final so that you don't feel the need to close a chapter on them and move that's, away? Well, that's the crazy thing is that like Star Wars Battlefront 2 is the perfect example. When it launched, it did not look done. It did not look complete to me. It did not look like I was buying a $60 game that was going to be worth the $60 for the package. Destiny 2 had a full story playthrough, whether it was you know 12 or 11 hours or whatever it was. And then there was a set amount of things because it was, once again, a familiar formula. We knew there yeah. was strikes. We knew there was going to be a raid launching yeah. after, which, of course, is very traditional. They don't want you to jump through and speed race to the game and ignore everything just to play the raid at the end. That's why they launch raids secondary. They don't launch them or have them at launch. So for me, it's more of a thing that's it's a game-by-game game basis, and it changes, of course, by game-by-game. Game. And for me... If a game comes out at $60 and it feels wonky at the start or it's uh, performance issues or there it looks just to be like personal mistakes made that are in the game that I don't like and they're already advertising a season pass with it tells me that that the content for the season pass is already going through its polishing stages, which could have been added to the game. If they would just would have crunched it out, yeah, I get for the most mean. part. I know that there are games like games that have battle passes or season passes, whatever it is. The those in which those that I actually agree with and don't mind are free games. I'll pay yeah, sixty dollars so like for yeah for Apex for Path of Exile for League of Legends, sure. uh, all those games like that. I will pay uh, to get more content and stuff in those games. And Path of Exiles, I'm pretty sure you only get cosmetic stuff and inventory slots. You don't get any kind of advantage. So. For stuff like that that's meant to be played that way, that's fine. For games like Destiny and Looter Shooters that's meant to be played that way, it's almost fine. But for multiplayer games that, that are launched like Call of Duty and Battlefront and Battlefield that have that standard PvP leveling system, there's not much to gain from that other than ranking up, playing with friends, and then getting armors and weapons. When there's already being a Battle Pass or Season Pass that is advertised for Battlefront and Battlefield before launch, and you can even in some instances buy that before launch hmm? is a mistake or you and can pre-order it with a with a bundle you can pre-order it with the game yeah yeah and where you it's... don't even have any clue what you're getting and what will be coming down the next three or four months the only way that i the only reason that i find it okay for games like warframe destiny all these other looter shooters is because i've never been wronged by one well i'm and... sure my opinion will falter a little bit if i'm ever wronged wouldn't by you it. also say that the precedent that's kind of what i was getting at a second ago but i was going to let you go through your point but this seems like a good spot to kind of interject this in is originally what I did mean by that was specifically in the looter shooter genre as it pertains to Borderlands 3. But you did bring up a good point, which is talking about how it pertains to other games versus these. So right. one of the things you said is that with these games and where I was kind of getting at with the do they come with a somewhat sense of not completely finality because they don't want you they want you to keep playing. 
Um, I think that's but objective. Where, where I was getting at with it is yeah. I do think that that's some of it. I mean, but the devil's advocate here for these other things here real quick, and it's something interesting, but to your point, I think it's because the precedent was set that these games are games of the service and they're entirely meant to constantly be played. And then That's, because they're meant to be constantly played, they want you to know that, well, even though they're being constantly played, we do have content that's coming three months out, six months out, whatever it is. And that's because that's the goal of where you get to see the next part. So even if you do manage to play so much that you've done everything you can and you step away, you know where the next on-ramp is for you to get back into playing that game because you know what the content is. And I would say that argument does work with the online games to an extent because when these people play Battlefront 2 or Battlefield 5 or whatever it be, when they play these games every day, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, when they play these games every day and that's when they're buying them for, they're buying them for this multiplayer element and going, you know what? I can't wait to do this over and over again. I do agree with you in the sense of most of what's going to happen on that is things that like, Oh, a new map or new things that they are already just putting out separately because it's easy to look at it from behind the scenes as going, well, they're doing this just to try nickel and dime us with something they could have put in the game. But whether they're doing that or not is not necessarily as pertinent to ask. It's not known. It can only be felt as if that's the thing. Exactly. But the other side of it would be, uh, and then I want to hear your thoughts on, but the other side of it would be, wouldn't you agree that it'd be the same goal in the long run of regardless of whether it felt like it should have been in the game at launch, isn't the idea as to why you can buy the game with the battle pass or whatever you want to call them, the DLC season passes, um, wouldn't that essentially be because of the fact that they want to show before the game even launches that they're so dedicated to the game and its future that they're already promising that they're going to do new content that comes later? Now, wouldn't that be the same? Now, of course, whether the game launches in a bad state to where you feel like it should have been in, at launch or not, in the point of the Battle Pass coming before it so that people can look at it and feel confident in the fact that if they buy this game even just to play multiplayer all day with their friends, that as they keep playing and get bored of the same maps and the same operators and like Rainbow Six or whatever, that they know down the road they're going to get new operators, new maps, new the problem, guns, whatever it be. I mean, do you not feel like that's the use for that? Or do you feel like no. you would completely want them to step away from that and all these online-only games not even talk about a season pass until the first piece of content is going to release and then say, we go. know where the first DLC is and you can buy the Battle Pass starting today for this price if you want to so, buy and, and guarantee all future content. Two points to make there. Because it's a perspective thing, right? Right, yeah. So two points to make there, though. What's the difference between a Battle Pass that's $30 at launch for a $60 game, so $90? Yep. What's the difference between that and a spokesman or Twitter uh, manager, whatever it may be for a company saying that content is coming. And then they show you screenshots of content and say, this is coming down the road. Be sure to play through the game or whatever. It's it's there. There is no reason for that. It's because it is for money because my second yeah, point because is to, just to throw in what that is. And that's what I was going to say is all about day one money, right? Because yes. that means that even if the game only sells, even, even if the game sells the same amount, either way, let's just say it sells 1 million copies either way, whenever up front, day one, you're also spending that extra $30 for the battle pass. That means their day one sales numbers, despite the, the the quantity being the same, the dollars is actually higher because of guaranteed money up front for people who are doing this. So I do, it's probably somewhat, just to give you your credit, it probably is somewhat a bad business tactic of, well, we can inflate the day one money by also including money that was guaranteed for season pass stuff yeah, and, and making you, the and, game look even better up front for investors. And you're not too sure which content was really created for the game or for the pass. Now, that's where the whole debate between 
DLC really stood for. Mm-hmm. Did it stand for disc lock content, which is what people think it stands for now because it is on disc going behind that content paywall, or is it download content? My second point, though, on earlier was that a once upon a time, those battle passes slash season passes weren't used for that. They were used to pay because it costs to play online. Last of Us 2, or Last of Us did that. Where you had oh, to, yeah, that was a very short window. but I do, Very short, yeah. but they tried it. Yes. And it failed, so they stopped it. And that was all, just for anybody who doesn't know what Saul's talking about, uh, they were called online passes. And what they were actually for, uh, Sony did it, EA did it, a lot of people did it. Uh, it was essentially to try and counteract the used market. So the idea was, if somebody goes and buys a game used, uh, then... What happens is for them to be able to play online and, and access this online segment, since the developer's not getting any of the money from you buying the game new to do these things, they figure that they can make profit off of you by requiring you to buy a $10 online pass that came with the game if you bought it new, but if you didn't buy it new and bought it used, you had to buy a new one because it was locked yep. to your account. Uh, it did not blow over well at all. People and, were and really we upset see, with it. And we, it only lived for about a year and a half at most, yeah. I'd want to say. So, And what we see now of, of season passes is, is an evolution of... Of that, so for me, is well, well why? Out of, why do you say it's an evolution of that? Out of because curiosity. they took that model of buying something extra if you bought the game, and then they added to it, and they just took away the aspect of playing online. Of they the were even having called, to pay to. Play they were online. called online passes. Now they're called season passes. It's the same well, idealistic concept. But didn't season and. and, and Correct Tell me, me if, if I'm, I'm wrong, but didn't season... If we both say that. Oh, but, I was going to say, I, I, I already got what you were But didn't say. season passes exist for Call of Duty and everything like that beforehand? Or did you just... I do not remember. Or was it not a season... I, I, I never played Call of Duty much, so... I remember download... Like, you, the reason I ask for, you, just so you understand, is that you played way more online games than I did. See, so you I, would I know before packs. I would. Map now, packs and content packs were what they were. I remember that did, as well. But there was no universal ticket back then to buy... All future content for the next yeah, year the, or whatever yeah. it be. So okay, correct, fair somebody enough, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. I don't remember that being a thing at all. I remember having to buy the map pack that came with four maps or whatever, maybe some skins. But now it's if you spent, which was, all, funnily enough, around $40, and you got four maps plus that. And then now if you look at it, it's now $60, and it is now four maps plus five maps plus six maps. It's it's the, They're pricing the content. It's roughly the same, and then you're getting exponentially more content, which it looks like a better deal, but then it makes you wonder how much is this content really worth and how much of that content was originally meant to be on the disc. Yes. But yeah, and, and I get that from a perspective standpoint. So I guess what your argument is, in particular on that side and how it pertains to Borderlands 3, is you don't want them to do that. I because as stick- far as you're concerned, and even other games as an example, it's a, it's all about the perspective. And realistically, it'd be transparency. Because if you're not even talking about the, the money aspect until the first piece of content's ready to launch, then it shouldn't matter. Right. But and- what we see, just as the, the dialogue to that, or the other side of it, is that what we see alongside these season passes with these types of games traditionally is also uh, a season pass schedule. So you know, you go, well, you're going to get the season pass, and you're also going to know that um, the game launches in January. March 1st, we have the first DLC pack releasing. Uh, we have on April 1st, the first uh, patch that's going to add a new raid. Then we're going to add a, a raid instance in January, and then we're going to add the second DLC or in uh, July. Then we'll add the second DLC pack in August. You see this weird like roadmap alongside them. So it, it is, that's what makes it interesting why, why? is would they ever actually separate it back down to something separate, which I, that's, we're kind of losing the forest with the trees on this. It's an interesting conversation. Well, well I was going to say, what's the point of having uh, season map attached to that or season pass? Why not just have the roadmap? 
and then talk about season pass when the first piece is ready to launch yep. and then go, Hey, roadmap's already here for people who are curious, but then, cause they want you to go ahead and buy that up because they're going to offer something like call of duty got caught doing potentially so people say it was a glitch, but where it marked you if you didn't have the season pass Yes, and there were more people unmarked than there was marked. Yeah. Which shows you how I don't really care for season passes. Yeah. I buy them for games I really love that I know I'm going to play through the content anyways because it ends up being cheaper, but sure. I don't like that model. So to move back real quick to Borderlands 3, how do you think the, the let's just say Borderlands 3 right now, we're going to consider it because we don't know enough. Now, we may learn more as this goes on, and maybe next week's episode will be able to elaborate on the improvements they're making. But let's just say right now, Borderlands 3 is just more of the style and platform and gameplay that we saw with Borderlands 2 yeah, and just going with new characters, new world and all that. How in your mind would you take the, the idea of Borderlands 3 and modernize it in a way that it would be able to smartly go against these other games and pull your attention away from things like Destiny and whatnot while also not trying to be the same thing, which is kind of, I think we both agree that right. it stands to do well by not trying to be those things, but be similar in the fact that it is still a looter shooter, but be true to its roots of being a looter shooter yeah, RPG you just, that is You launch it with the exact same, exact same business model as Borderlands 2. Uh, so, well, I guess what I mean by that is like features, mechanics, well, that's what I'm saying. Like and then that. you so add raids. That's it. So you think you add an in-game goal that may that can be repeated for an in-game task, and that's it. Like you allow the game to hard cap at the end of the game. Sure. You allow there to be a certain thing, and then six months later down the road, when everybody's done with all of that and they've explored everything, they've gotten the guns they've been wanting. Because let's be real, that's what Borderlands is there for. It's it's there for the guns, and. And, Destiny, and the RPG experience. We, well, yeah, it's, it's, but I'm just saying, like, the replayability factor sure. is the guns. But I, and, I think that me and you would both agree that I think Borderlands is more RPG-like than any of these other looter shooters right now. Even though their Division 2 has gotten surprisingly closer, maybe, maybe Anthem has a little bit of it. But It's on par with Destiny 1, because Destiny 1 still had a, a skill tree kind of similar to that, depending on, like, your skill class. Skill tree per items and yeah. per class. And well, they, well, no, don't forget. The skill they, trees weren't. They, Per items, I guess. But in Destiny One, yeah, they were per like your subclass. You could actually select things in each node. Yeah, I remember. Where it's pretty the similar in, in, in Borderlands, where it's three trees, if I remember correctly, maybe four. But then they had about six to twelve items in each tree. It's yeah, been, but I guess what I meant by that is character builds, because character builds isn't the same in Borderlands as it is in something like Destiny. Which yeah, because because in Destiny it typically revolves around an armor set plus you know weapons plus your specials. Where yeah, in where Borderlands of... it's more of getting the guns you want that work well together plus your using you know how you can use your character abilities that you unlock yes, so yeah, that are specific to each character which still is, is the same skeleton as destiny it's just borderlands has that it just it does it right and if borderlands 3 launches comparable to borderlands 2 and like i said it can do everything that borderlands 2 could do it can have a fun story it can have cool and engaging npcs and dialogue have the humor then yeah, go for it. I will love it. And then you release, say, like a six man or eight rock where because obviously you have or technically be eight man, right? If it four. was two groups of four, yeah. So like an eight man raid, like where you take on, you could track all the way back through Borderlands one locations into two locations, and then fight a boss at the end. Maybe Handsome Jack find a way to revive himself. Who knows? So it'd be cool to do something like that in a Borderlands game. I'd agree it'd with be that. Different, but it'd be cool. But I think on a more mechanical sense, I think all of these games feel better to shoot. And feel more tactile in the enemies. So I guess what I want to see is I want them to actually make use. Because one thing I will say from the trailer that got me early on is that it looks fine. But it looks a lot like Borderlands 2. Just 
new characters. Like graphically, they're doing a little bit more, well, and, and that was a stream. And so there's a number of things I don't know about yet. I want to see how it looks like on my TV. It's hard to age cell shading too. And that's another thing is their style. It's hard to tell the big jump between them because that style is so heavily influenced by line art. And essentially everything's going to look the same when you have such these strong black lines everywhere. But yeah. what I mean by that is, uh, what I want to see them do is modernize it in other areas. So I want the shooting to feel far more tactile, and I want there to be more of a of a emphasis put on making sure that when you shoot enemies, it feels like you've shot the enemy. One of the things about Borderlands 1 and 2 is that sometimes enemies are just coming at you, and you'll be shooting them, and you'd almost feel like Bullet you sponges. didn't even hit them. Yeah. Not even the bullet sponge. Some games will try and tote to like that line between bullet sponge and still giving you a tactile feel to your shots in a way that I, it's not even that you necessarily have to stun them. But show me them staggering, even if it doesn't slow them down. Just a stagger animation. Things that make it feel more like you have precise gunshot. Because one of the things that's odd about Borderlands 2 and that art style and everything it's doing is that when you go to shoot, sometimes it looks like you might even didn't hit them unless you see the numbers come up. It's like it doesn't look like you've done any damage. And right. I, th I also think it needs to be a little more tight and precise. Um just because I think first-person shooters have taken a big leap up in, in how that's true how tight they feel, be it across you know Destiny Two feels, and even though I give Destiny Two crap for being not enough different from Destiny One, I still believe that uh, Destiny Two still feels really tight. I mean, so regardless of what's going on, it's a game that the, the shooting mechanics, even at thirty frames per second, still feel really solid. Uh, Call of Duty has done yeah. a lot to they've always done this to stay at sixty frames per second and make sure that they stay playing well. It's one of their biggest things. I'd like to see that. One thing I think would be interesting, and I think it's a split one because I know so many people who feel both ways on it, is you've seen a lot of things this generation where games are doing. Uh, God of War did it. We saw it happen with uh, Bloodborne, where we have these random generated things that we could see. And I actually feel like a game like. Borderlands, which is primarily oh, yeah. at its heart something like procedurally generated. Exactly, it's Borderlands at its heart is mostly about by by the time that you're all said and done about everything, and the reason a lot of people replay it. Some of them they do love the story and the characters, and that definitely helps add to the world. But primarily, it's the feeling of the gunplay. So, like my example to that is, I've been playing the Division Two this entire time. I don't care what's going on in the story at all right now, but the gunplay itself is so fun that that's what pulls me to play it. And then playing with friends is the other reason. So they kind of come together as a massive things. Yeah. So if Borderlands three can go, we have great gunplay and great gameplay and great, you know, whatever all these things is, we have great co-op mesh those together and give me endless, technically endless new content for me to play with friends. Just, I never know what's going to expect because it's randomly generated. Yeah. And I think it would work better in those games than it has in some of the games that we've seen, like God of War using it for the Niflheim thing. Um, it wasn't a terrible use, but I think it feels better in things you can co-op. So Borderlands, yeah. I mean, Bloodborne... It, it makes those experiences with friends, not only better experiences with friends, but it makes them different every time you do them. Exactly. Instead so it doesn't feel so draining. Yeah. Like so I the, think that uh, would be a good a good spot for them to start. And now, one of the things that... Have you seen the rumor that apparently you're going to be able to go to different planets? And it does look like that from the gameplay. How do you expand on the Borderlands style while also showing what you've done to next gen? You take the Borderlands style and you go, we're going to make it to where instead of you vault hunting on one planet, be it Pandora on two, we're going to instead let you go to Pandora if you want to go back to Pandora and vault hunt on there. You want to vault hunt on these other different planets that are going the around? Moon. We're yeah, going to do that. That would be cool stuff. So like those are ways that I think they can obviously step up in a way that's more next gen, but also try and combat. It's, it's funny though. I agree with you that the strongest thing that they really have, as long as they pull their mechanics up to feel modern. And I only really mean that from the gun, the, the excuse me, be it control schemes, uh, how tight and tactile the shooting feels, things like that, making sure that co-op remains as easy as possible to get in and out of. Yeah. Um, 
if they can do things to make sure that they've modernized it enough to where it doesn't feel like an outdated game, the rest of its strengths can stay alone. And I still think it'll, it'll, it'll end up competing against those games in a good way because it's so different. Instead of being another The Division, another Anthem, or another Warframe, or any of these things that you have to sit there and think of, these are time sinks that require, that are, and I don't even mean that derogatorily. I just, I mean it in the sense of they're made to be time sinks. If Borderlands 3 can come by and say, we're a game that's made to have a finite ending, but if you want it to be a time you sink, can have, yeah, you, you can, can have you can time, time sink all you want. want. And I think that you're right in that. Don't lean too heavily into that. I do agree that they shouldn't do any kind of weekly resets or anything like no. that. Instead, just give me something that has a real ending, but also has plenty of content. Going to different planets would definitely help that. Uh, and you could even make it to where the planets have their own randomly generated events and stuff that happen. Uh, and then you could also make randomly de- generated dungeons or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, um, like Chalice Dungeons. But yeah, and, and maybe randomly de- generated vaults or whatever you want to call it. There could be that something. Would be cool. Vaults would be cool. Yeah, that'd be a cool way to do it. And it would also make sense with a vault as you'd always get a reward at the end. So there'd be a reason to keep going. Yeah. And one thing they could do instead of worrying about weekly resets and whatnot that might be interesting. I don't know how I feel about this. Is they can either add new guns through DLC that also comes as a free patch for everyone else where they can still get these new guns. The DLC is just content, but it also adds new guns that all players can have access to as the update hits. Kind of like um, what Destiny 2 decided to do with the Black uh, Armory or whatever. You could still play Destiny 2 and get new oh, updates, yeah. but you they weren't the, locked yes. to the Black Armory. It was really an interesting take on the idea. So do something like that. Add DLC that adds new story, new characters, new guns, and all that. But the guns themselves can be added to everyone's story. That way, if they did something like a procedurally generated vault, um, as you keep going, maybe one point in time you'll actually reach the end of the guns, which unlikely, but you might. And then uh, now you have... A billion. Yeah, but then again, it's just a billion variations of the same guns. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of. It's kind of like in, in uh, if I... And, like it's no been a long Scott. time since I've played Borderlands 2, but I mean, essentially, you just keep getting the same gun, essentially, with different perks. With different perks. Perk combinations. And that's, if you want to say that, then Destiny 2 has a billion guns or a billion guns, realistically. You know what I mean? There's a ton of different things you can do. So, in the sense of one of the things that Destiny's done has well, been like, well, with this black armor, we're going to have this new gun. You know the what roles I mean? are random, but they're also static. Like, there's only a certain amount of roles. Yeah, that's true. It's, but they are still somewhat randomly generated. Or Borderlands feels more like it's the, everything could be on anything and it could have all these. And yeah, you are right. 30 more, billion. more like, uh, what would I call it? Uh, Diablo 3. I feel like the planets in No Man's Sky where you're going to come across multiple new planets, but they may be resembling of other planets you've been to. That's a good point. I was going to say like Diablo 3's uh, modifiers for enemies where you can go up and any, any enemy of any type can be a blue purple with five or six or ten or whatever different modifiers on it. And any enemy can get any modifier and it could be any combination of modifiers. So you'd be like, yeah, why am I fighting a waller who arcane with lava? And it's like, Oh God, what's going on here? You know? Yeah. So I like that. So I guess I'll give you that. If the game is technically randomly generating the back inside, like it is, even, even though it may feel familiar, that's, that's probably a good point. You still might end up stumbling onto a gun that no one else has at the end of a vault. Which would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. That's essentially my take on it. I, I hope the game, doesn't feel outdated. It's been so long since the Borderlands proper that it feels weird to think about how it might act and feel in a time period like this with no nostalgia tied to it as a game itself. Right. There's nostalgia tied to the franchise in Borderlands, but the reason that some people can still be playing the Handsome Collection and not feel too bad about it is if you're a huge fan of Borderlands and you loved Borderlands 2 from the get-go, you always carry that nostalgia, even when you're replaying it. That, that nostalgia might not carry forward to Borderlands 3. The namesake might, but you go to play it and you're like, 
something feels off about this. It, it could happen. I hope not. And I think that the, what I was going to say real quick to it, just to tie back into, you said you don't know if they'll go towards that weekly, monthly or whatever update. The only reason I think some people might argue that there's a chance they would is because they essentially were going after that when they started Battleborn. So if well, they, that failed, so let's not compare. You Battleborn. would hope that they would say yeah. that failed. So instead of trying to lean and take anything away from that, okay, let's let this be failure. Yeah. Let's, 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 this be an evolution of the normal borderlands formula in Which, a way that still feels modern. They seem to have presented it in such a way. So. I, I agree. But some people said they were a little bit disappointed with the, with the, launch trailer so we'll uh, it's, see it's, it's literally a developer trailer it's not even a launch trailer yeah i mean teaser trailer is what i really but the, developer yeah. teaser so, yeah, yeah developer teaser is what they're calling it so, so we'll see more maybe on wednesday and maybe next week we'll be able to kind of elaborate on those thoughts and uh, that might even be the community's take yeah how about uh, so. that how about community's take why don't you guys tell us what you want to see in borderlands 3 whether it is different mechanics different gameplay mm-hmm. different everything so let us uh, give us a short little summary and we'll uh, be sure to read them off next show. And then also whenever this stuff comes out April 3rd with the new stuff, depending on how that paints your things, you could wait to give us your example yeah. on both. When we, we can see. But either way, I think this has been a good episode. So yeah. with that said, this has been Triangle Square. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to our patrons, Chad V, Dan Barber, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Douglas Below, Sean Sanarud, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Blake Popst, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanlin, and Coy Live. If you would like to support us, our link for the Patreon is in the description below. Thank you. Thank you.